Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Whitmer, and I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And today I'd like to once again turn our attention to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, to the fruit of the Spirit. Thus far we've examined joy, peace, and patience, and we have discussed how these attributes and dispositions are to be developed in the life of a Christian by each of us following those things that the Spirit has revealed in the Word. Today, I want to look at self-control. Remember now that all of the things mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 are collectively referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. And while we can study them individually and talk about them one at a time, they are not individually fruits of the Spirit, so much as they are to be taken together to constitute the fruit of the Spirit. Each child of God is expected to develop all of these characteristics and all of these attributes, and we will, provided we are determined to follow the things the Spirit has revealed. In Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8, through 8, we find a passage very similar to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. There Peter wrote, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful, in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure that you noticed in that passage the attribute of self-control. The word translated as self-control, maybe some of the translations that you are using have temperance, comes from a word that literally means one who holds himself in. And that is exactly what self-control is. It is the bringing of all of our appetites, all of our desires, all of our passions under our control. For the Christian, it means bringing all these things into harmony with God's will, as that will has been revealed by the Spirit. It is self-control, self-restraint, the ability to discipline ourselves. From a worldly standpoint, we can all recognize the need for self-control in certain areas. For instance, if a diabetic person refuses to control his or her desire for sweets, or if a person with high blood pressure refuses to control his or her intake of salt, there can be dire consequences. Quality of life and even the continuation of life depends upon their exercising self-control, at least in those particular areas. For the Christian, however, we're not talking about temperance in just a few isolated areas. We're talking about self-control in all. We have to learn to master the whole person. 
this may very well be the hardest of all of the different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit for us to learn. We live in a time when self-control is not held in very high regard. Do you remember the line from the commercial of several years ago that said, you only live once, grab for all the gusto you can get? That's an old commercial, but I think that pretty well still describes the attitude of so many in our society. Why deny ourselves anything? Why exercise self-control? As a matter of fact, those of us who do exercise restraint and self-control are often looked at as though we were silly for missing out on certain things. I believe Paul described our society in amazing detail in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5, through 5, showing that the more things change, the more they stay the same. As in his day, so too in ours. The world cries out, screams out, for self-control. Paul wrote these words, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, and avoid such men as these. In this episode, let's look at some of the areas in which this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit absolutely must be manifested by the Christian. First, think about the body. God intended that our bodies be our servants, not our masters. Therefore, we are supposed to be in control of its passions and desires. Notice what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. There we find, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way, as not without aim. I box in such a way, as not beating the air. But I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly, after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. There is a purpose for our bodies. There is a reason why it is so important that we control ourselves. And Paul told us what that purpose is, just a few short chapters earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul wrote, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body. There is the very purpose for our existence, the very purpose for which our bodies were created, to glorify God. Consider a few areas related to the body in which temperance, self-control, is demanded. How about hunger? Hunger is a very strong desire of man and nourishment is essential to our continued existence. But even a basic desire such as hunger, if not properly controlled, can cause a man to become a glutton. Solomon warned about that very thing in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 16. He wrote, Have you found honey? Eat only what you need, lest you have it in excess and vomit it. 
That is just another way of saying exercise self-control. I remember in the history of Western civilization class that I took in college reading about the gluttony of the Roman high society. They would engage in lavish feasts in which the participants would eat until they could not eat another bite. When they reached that point, they would go into especially prepared rooms, some of which have been uncovered by archaeologists, stick their fingers down their throats, or perhaps use an instrument designed for that very purpose, obviously causing them to get rid of what they had eaten, thereby making a little more room, and then they would return to the feast and eat some more. Lots of people in the past and today simply fail to exercise any degree of self-control in this area. How about rest and sleep? We all need rest and sleep, yet at the same time, if all a person wants to do is rest and sleep, then they're going to get lazy and soft. In Proverbs, once again, chapter 26, this time verses 14 and 15, Solomon wrote, As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his head in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. Even such a basic need of the body can be abused and turned into something sinful because of a lack of self-control. Consider sexual desires. These are just as good and just as pure as the desire for food when they are properly controlled. Consider the statement from Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Failure to exercise temperance, self-control, in this area turns something that is good and natural and a marvelous gift from God into something dirty and sinful. Why does adultery, fornications of all kinds, and lascivious conduct abound? Why is the internet filled with pornographic sites? It is because of a lack of self-control in this area. Look once again at 1 Corinthians, this time chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. Paul wrote these words, Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says the two will become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. What it boils down to is flee sexual immorality. And that requires self-control. That requires patience, too. In this area, when a person says, I could not help myself, what he means is, I have no self-control. I am a slave to my desires. Lasciviousness is, by its very definition, absence of restraint, indecency, wantonness. A good deal of the shameful sexual activity that the world is involved in is just that, lasciviousness, lack of restraint, lack of self-control, failure to exercise temperance. There really is no excuse for it, and God will judge such conduct. Let's consider our minds, and included in there would be our thoughts as well as our tempers. 
Notice what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. He wrote, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. When we lose our temper and fly off the handle at someone, you know what we have lost? We have lost our self-control. We have failed to manifest temperance. James tells us in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. In addition to controlling our tempers, we must strive to control our thoughts. I am not at all certain that we can keep impure thoughts and unrighteous thoughts from entering into our minds, but I'll tell you what, I am sure that we can keep them from staying there. But how do we do that? How can we keep the filth of this world from finding a nesting place in our minds? Well, by setting our affections on things above and not on things of the earth. We can exercise self-control in our thoughts by doing what Paul instructed in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. God does not ask us to do anything that is impossible for us to do. So Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 shows us that it is possible. The verse reads, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. To do this requires self-control. It requires temperance. It takes a determination and it is a determination not to linger on improper thoughts but to drive them from our minds. God demands self-control in this area and the reason why is clear. Proverbs 23 verse 7 tells us, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Now going right along with our minds and thoughts, but a large enough problem that it deserves and receives individual consideration in the scriptures, has to do with our desire for money, and how we may feel about it and things it can buy in general. There's nothing wrong with desiring money provided that desire stems from the proper motivation. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 sets forth one such motivation when we read, Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. The problem with money and the things that it can buy is that many begin to put their trust and confidence in it. Money and what it affords can become the end-all and be-all of some people's existence. The reason why it is so difficult for a rich man to enter into heaven is the very thing. Paul made the point in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 when he said, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. In a prosperous society like the one in which we live, there is a definite tendency to judge the quality of a person and his or her life by the quantity of the goods they possess. This motivates people <coughs> excuse me. This motivates people to want more and more and more, and leads them to believe that satisfaction and success are determined by such things. God is left out, and that is wrong. This is a problem even among those who are members of the body of Christ. Self-control, temperance, is demanded in this area. And my friends, let us not forget the tongue. 
Wars have been fought. Careers have been ruined. And churches have been torn asunder because people did not exercise self-control when it came to the use of their tongues. God demands that we exercise temperance in this area. And that he does is clearly pointed out in such places as James chapter 1 and verse 26, where we find if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Over in chapter 3 and verse 2, James wrote, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Some of the specific areas touched on in the scriptures involving the tongue would be that we must not swear or speak words of contempt. We must not listen to nor engage in vulgar humor. We must not gossip and we certainly must not lie. We must not teach false doctrine and we must not speak rashly in anger. Physically, the tongue may not be very large, but it is awfully powerful and important. From verse 5 of James 3, we get, So also is the tongue, a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. One other point that should be made about self-control in general is pointed out, I believe, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. There Paul wrote, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. If we are a slave to any habit in that area, we are not exercising self-control. A couple that come to mind immediately would be caffeine and nicotine. I know people who can't be civil to anyone until they have their first cup of coffee in the morning. They have been brought under the power of caffeine. Need anything at all be said about the enslaving power of nicotine? The point is, when we are brought under the power of anything, we lose the ability to control the situation ourselves. The situation, or the habit, has the control. That is not exercising self-control. So, my friends, we can have control of ourselves. We can exercise self-control, temperance. It's not always easy, but like anything else, we can get better at it with practice. If we simply immerse ourselves in the Spirit-revealed Word, this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit will be part of us. Self-control. Interesting things to think about. Words to conduct.